I am fine with him ste- with them stealing the painting because they may be burglars, but they're not homophobic, racist, UKIP murderers, right? <laughs> Which is what this guy is, okay? Plus, the guy has really bad taste in music. Hello, and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Inside Number 9, or an episode of Inside Number 9. Yes, we are. And as always, um, if you have any uh, questions or suggestions, do get in touch through... um, We've had loads of people emailing through the website recently, which is thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. And you can catch us on Twitter as well, at thestorytoolkit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so Stu, our mutual friend Stu told me to watch Inside Number 9 and he specified two episodes so we watched one of them uh, which was episode 2 of season 1 called A Quiet Night In and Inside Number 9 is an anthology comedy show it seems 30 minutes each every episode self-contained with different car- different characters every time but the cast of actors is always the same the troupe as it were is the same and it's the people who did the League of Gentlemen right? yes yeah so, uh, Steve Pembroke and... Did... The I always Gen- forget the names. Um, uh, Reese Shearsmith. Thank you, Reese Shearsmith. Yeah, Did it. the League of Gentlemen make it across the water to America? I don't know. Uh, for those of you in America, you've in listening to this, you've probably watched Spaced, and they are in Spaced. They are, yes. Uh, they've appeared in Doctor Who. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, Mark Gattis... Um, who is one of the writers for Doctor Who. He wrote Sherlock with Stephen Moffat. Uh, he works with them a lot. So if you've seen anything with Mark Gattis, you've probably seen yeah. um, those guys. Um, they were in space and things, as I said. Um, they're very good. Uh, I, I never got into the League of Gentlemen. It was something that just never got to me. Yeah, same. But, uh, we, so, but Stu was telling me about uh, two episodes in particular of Inside Number Nine, and this one, A Quiet Night In, is uh, about a burglary, but there's no dialogue, and it's really funny and it's it's really really great. It's on Netflix, and so it's one of those things where you know stop the podcast, it's twenty minutes, go watch the yeah, episode, come back. Thirty minutes, but is it thirty? It's that yeah, it's like it's just under. Oh, okay, and go watch it. Yeah. There is no great. reason not to. <laughs> Episode 2 of Season 1. Like, you don't need to watch anything else. You can just watch that one. It's excellent. Welcome back. After watching <laughs> Inside Number 9, Episode 2, Season 1. Yeah. Um, okay, so break it down for us. Okay, so here's what happened. If you Since you just saw it. Uh, <laughs> you know this you know, better than we do. You know, uh, but basically what happens is, here's the plot. Um, so, uh, there's a guy uh, in his... Uh, house and he's having soup his maid has made him soup uh, his wife is upstairs and two burglars break in without being noticed and uh, these burglars um, are there to steal a painting and they intend to steal this modern art painting which is sort of just a white canvas that's hanging on their wall above the TV in their living room and they get in 
uh, and uh, they manage to hide. They don't get noticed. But unfortunately, um, the wife comes down to watch EastEnders. So they can't get to the painting because she's watching EastEnders. The husband then comes down and he wants to listen to music while instead of her, and she wants to watch EastEnders. So they have a fight over the remote. Um, which results in uh, him taking the TV remote, taking the batteries out, putting it in the in some in a drink in her drink. In her yeah. drink. So she can't watch EastEnders, so he can listen to the thing. She gets up, storms outside to the outdoor pool. He feels bad, so he gets up and follows her because they're going to have an argument outside. So while they're arguing outside, the burglars inside now have a chance to get the painting. They get the painting off the wall. They cut the painting out. Uh, and they put it on the floor and then they're supposed to put the replacement in but they don't have a replacement so they make a replacement out of white uh, kitchen towel you know the tissue paper they put that in the painting and hang that back up at which point the wife and the maid come back in so they hide but the painting is still on the floor Um, and so the wife steps on it without realising it so they can't get it Uh, then the maid sees it picks it up thinking it's laundry and takes it with her into the laundry so the burglars, one of the burglars manages to like sneak off and goes into the laundry where the washing machine is going on. And he's like, he thinks the painting's in the washing machine. He looks up, the maid sees him. She, she sprays him with mace. He screams. They still haven't been caught, by the way. The wife's now upstairs. Um, and, the, and the husband's still outside in the pool. So uh, the other burglar comes in. He chloroforms the maid, puts her in a, stuffs her in a closet. He goes back out. The guy's got mace in his eyes, and he's like, "Ah!" Oh, he has to. He has to go to the kitchen to get something to get rid of the mace. The gu- other burglar finds the uh, painting. It's not in the washing machine. It's in the linen closet, which turns out to be a dumb waiter. And the linen gets pulled straight up to the wife upstairs. So now he runs upstairs to try and uh, get the linen from the wife. But, <laughs> but, but as this is happening, he discovers that the wife is not a woman. It's a man. Uh, and this might now explain why the husband and the wife are having some sort of argument over something. Um, the other burglar is in the kitchen. He cuts up a cucumber, but because he can't see with the mace, he accidentally grabs a chili pepper and puts those in his eyes, making it even worse. The husband uh, then starts... Uh, uh, gets <laughs> The husband goes into his, um, into his desk and pulls out a gun, and he puts it in his, in his mouth. He's about to kill himself. He chooses not to kill himself. Uh, as the maced guy uh, walks around the living room, he knocks things over, including a paint, a picture of the husband and wife. So when the husband comes back in, he sees the mess and thinks the wife caused this issue. So he starts playing their song, all right, which is uh, what was it? Oh, uh, I can't. I can't live without you. Yeah. I, he starts playing. I can't live without you, uh, which makes the wife come down. Which means now the wife who has put the who has put the painting, thinking it's clothes, inside her suitcase and locked her suitcase. The burglar upstairs could now try and get the painting out of the suitcase while she's downstairs. She goes downstairs to the husband. Uh, they try a reconciliation. He tries to kiss her. She pushes him off him. He puts, he slams her down on the sofa, grabs a pillow, puts it over her head, and shoots her in the face, which is a huge extremity. <laughs> like, like, it's just come out of nowhere. Then... There's a knock on the door, and the person at the door is a is a door-to-door cleaning salesman who happens to be both deaf and dumb. 
which is perfect. So the husband then pretends that uh, he get he goes one he goes one second grabs his wife's body with uh, closes the door grabs his wife's body goes to put her in a closet discovers the maid unconscious in one closet is very surprised at this but doesn't do anything about it puts her, his wife his dead wife's body in the other closet then gets his tomato soup pours it all over the couch so it looks like the blood is tomato soup calls the cleaner guy in and it tells the cleaner to clean his couch uh from all the tomato soup and the cleaner's like okay so let's do it at which point the burglars upstairs come downstairs because they need something in order to, because they can't open the the suitcase so they're going to try and get the suitcase out of the house so they can leave and they go down and he bumps into the cleaner and the cleaner just stares at him with this happy smile on his face and the guy buys the equipment he needs from the cleaner goes upstairs starts uh he buys like a what do you call it um uh, a thing like a like a string, not a string, but something like a string. So you can le- put the suitcase. It's like nylon rope or something. Nylon rope. Yeah. You can put the suitcase outside of the f- uh, out of the upper floor and l- lower it onto the ground, and they can take it and run away. And as they're doing that, the cleaner sees this, but the cleaner's deaf and dumb, so he points at the window repeatedly. The husband turns to look at the window. Of course, by that point, they've pulled it back up. This happens a couple of times. And the husband's like, okay, fine. So he just walks outside to the pool and looks around to see what the cleaner was pointing at. He looks up and he sees the two burglars with the suitcase. And they just look at each other and they let the suitcase drop. Hit him on the head. Kills him right then and there, dead. However, the suitcase opens up as that happens and the painting falls into the pool. They go down and they're, oh, they're so upset. At which point they both get shot in the back of the head. The cleaner then picks up a mobile phone, uh, his mobile phone, calls and goes, yep, job's done. Painting's right here. Looking at the painting on the wall, which is kitchen towel, but he thinks is the real painting. And that's the end of the thing, right? And it's just, that's really cute. That's great. Um, and while I'm saying things like, oh yeah, they choose to do this, they choose that. You know what they're doing because of the actions they're making. Not because anyone says anything, because with the exception of the the cleaner at the very end, mm. talking to whoever employed him to steal the painting, except for that one line at the very end, there is no dialogue in the whole. No, the there's only, nothing. The only other words you get in it, um, right towards the beginning, one of the burglars' phones go off, and oh, yes, it's yeah. it's the other one who's texting him to say, yes. "Are you in yet?" Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a couple of texts. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple a- of there's a couple of text joke texting the, jokes. And yeah, the see, very beginning. Yeah, the very beginning. Yeah. But is the are you in yet? Actually yes, says, I'm in. Is your phone on silent? No. <laughs> and then it's like go to settings. <laughs> Just like stop doing it. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's a few things we wanted to talk about. Um, and one of the first notes you made afterwards was about the colours. Oh yeah, so there's this really cute thing. The burglars are dressed in black, which of course makes sense. Makes perfect sense. However, here's the problem: there's no dialogue, and it's a comedy, and the whole thing is a physical. It's a farce, right? So it's all about physical movement and being able to tell who's doing what at the right time, and you have to know the timing and the precision and who who's everywhere. So how do you make two people who are meant to be invisible because they've dressed in black visible? And the answer is it's a white painting on a white wall in a very white house and everything is white. And so they stick out like sore thumbs, which is in a way even funnier that they no one notices them because they ha- they can't hide against the wall because they're completely I know the the white There's no shadows. The wife There's is, no shadows anywhere. The wife okay. is also wearing white and yes. the maid wears white. Does the husband wear white as well? 
Uh, I think he wears sort of like a red dressing gown. But That's also, the right. wife is platinum blonde. Yeah. <laughs> there's lighting everywhere, by the way. Yeah. There's really bright lights inside the house. In fact, the first time you see them is floodlights, right? Which cast them like with these black silhouettes on a very light green background because of the grass. <laughs> so it's it, like they are constantly. The, the set design is really cute because you never question how visible they are because they're dressed like stereotypical burglars. But to make it so that you know exactly who's doing what, when, and everything, it's white on black the whole episode. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's great. It's just so, it's so smooth. It's just really nice. Yeah, and gets an enormous amount of laughter out of it, right? Yeah, it heightens the laughter because it's so exaggerated, right? The the colour scheme and everything. But it's just, I think that's adorable. The suitcase is black. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Oh, maybe the guy's wearing like a cream. Uh gown either way yeah the like point that. is the set, yeah. the set is white yeah it's very light yeah set. exactly even though it takes place at night <laughs> it's really um, cute another um, creative choice we wanted to mention was the music yes which you didn't pick up on or you did I didn't you did you did yeah you did not no there were two songs played in the uh, in the whole thing um, other than the East End Steam tune um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the guy's listening to some orchestral music at the beginning, uh, which makes sense. And most of the time, you can't really tell what it is. Um, but by the way, sorry, the East Enders theme tune being in there is pretty cool because it puts in your head the soap opera twist, right? Which is going to come, <laughs> right? It's, uh, it, you... Oh, it's going to mention setups later, actually, because there's oh. a few that I, I picked up on as you were going through the that, uh, that I hadn't thought to mention. Oh, okay, that's right. Then I have. So we'll, we'll swing back around. Fine, go. On. It's a nice setup for the latest. Section. It's a, well it's done. A, uh, I see. Well done. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, he's listening to orchestral music, um, and w- which kind of goes with his kind of rich, uh, yes. slightly pompous character. Yes. Um, and then you realise that the music is starting... It's an orchestral version of All By Myself by Eric Carmen. Yes. And he is... Eric Ken. <laughs> you can resist. No. For the vast majority of it, he is all by himself and there's this whole yeah. loneliness thing. It, it, it's, I guess, another setup for the yeah. argument between him and his wife. Yeah, but it's done as classical music, right? It's done as classical music. I, I didn't pick up that it was all by myself. It never breaks into the chorus, but it's it keeps swelled, building up it, to it. It builds up and it swells yeah. in the same way and it uses the um, the pre-chorus or the bridge from uh, that piece of music. Yeah. So I kept expecting it to go into it, but they never quite... I didn't realise that at all go into when it. I was watching it. I had no idea that was what was going on, but I it must have had still the same sort of desired effect which was you can tell it was this sad lonely music yeah exactly right because you, you must recognise that yeah you don't need to know what the piece of music is but it still has the same effect but yes. it, it is even cuter if you do recognise it yeah, of course um, and then the second song he plays is uh, I Can't Live by Harry Nilsson right which is that I Can't Live if Living Is Without You which is, well, yeah. is what brings her downstairs yeah. and so yeah it, it's just too that's their song though. at least you presume it's their song because yes. he plays that and that's what brings her back down and it has them reconcile for a brief moment yeah before he shoots her <laughs> um, the two very lonely heartbreaking songs yes uh, again just really great creative choices just all the music in the show it is except for I think the incidental um, credit music. yeah 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 because he's he's listening to 
because you need some sound, right? Unless you unless there's a joke involving no sound, it's something with no dialogue. You, it would be odd. It would be noticeable if it was just silent, right? Well, the the episode if the they episode. didn't have any music playing. Yeah. Uh, well, also it would. The problem is it would heighten all the sounds they're making. Yes. So if there's no sound, if there was no music playing, every footfall you'd hear, mm. which would then make it incredulous that they didn't notice them. Yeah. So with the music playing really loud and no one speaking, you can't. The fact that they can't hear them moving around and it makes it believable. Like you buy it. Yeah. You buy like I mean there are certain moments where because it's farcical and silly, uh, there are moments where you go, oh no, he should have. You should have. I you forgive believe. it though. Yeah, don't you? you do forgive it. But if you didn't have any music at all, it would just strain credulity. It would seem very contrived. Yeah, there, there, there was only one moment in the whole half an hour where I thought, nah, okay, I'll feel. Yeah, there I'll was. Gloss over it. It, was it was the maid. It's the maid. Yeah, when the maid finds the guy, sprays him with mace, and runs out, she doesn't scream. Yeah, and it's the one time where you're going like, someone. She should. That doesn't make sense. She should be going, help, help, yeah. or screaming, something like that. And the fact that she doesn't make any sound at all and gets chloroform is like okay, but that, that's take... your, that's your one. Yeah. <laughs> you're allowed one if you you know, and it, it's like okay, everybody gets one, and it's yeah. and it's not like you're trying to get out of the whole show. So that's your one give, you know, because <laughs> when you're watching the episode, it's it's got that rule after after a while, after a couple of minutes, the rule that they have said to you is we're not going to speak. Mm. So you are now sitting there going like, I can't wait to see how this is going to build when they can't speak. You're wondering, how, like, I, I, Stu said like, they don't speak for like the first half or something. Mm. So I was like, oh, at some point they're going to break. So as you're watching it, there's this rule of like, how long until you break? Well, there's a great, there's a great moment with the husband and wife where they're outside and they're arguing, but you can't hear what they're saying. Yes. It's just muffled yelling. Exactly. Um, which is a lovely touch. It's like yes. people obviously do speak in this world. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, but we but, don't hear it. But that's the thing. As you're watching it, you know they're going like, no one's going to speak, which is a bizarre, sort of n- not real, res- like it's just a weird arbitrary restriction we're doing. And at some point, it's going to happen that people will speak. Yeah. At some point, it's going to happen. So, up until that point, no one speaking is okay. But once someone speaks we're not going to have this stifled thing anymore because it would yeah. be annoying, right? So you're watching it and you're like, okay, but once someone breaks, that's it. So you're like, you go, okay, you're allowed to one time have a character that should have broken the silence, not break the silence. But after that, like, you're the ones who chose to not have writing. <laughs> so it's not my fault if you couldn't come up with it. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like, so you get, you get one. You get one. They got. They used their one, and that was it. <laughs> and then after that, they uh, had this ridiculous contrivance of the deaf, dumb cleaning door-to-door salesman who shows up at the exact right moment, which is so ridiculous. But you go, okay, let's just go along with this. Yeah, at that point, and you've then, already had like the murder. You've, you've had the murder. You've had the chloroform yeah. closet thing. You've had all that. It's like this is funny. Okay, let's let this one. And it's like okay. Plus, plus the actor is hilarious. <laughs> I can't remember his name, but yeah. he, he pops up in loads. He's, he's he's really good. He sells it. And you're like, okay, I'm just gonna go along with this because like you 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 also you can tell like this is a thirty minute thing. It's been about twenty minutes, 
and they do this like okay fine you just don't want to be okay i get it you don't want to have anyone talk okay this would be a rubbish place to have someone talk i agree okay okay let's you're like you're on their side you're like yeah okay okay and then <laughs> you're like oh yeah he's the killer and this was oh that makes perfect sense why he was deaf and dumb right he wasn't really deaf and dumb it was a lie of course he heard the shot of course he heard all this stuff he's just lying right it's like okay contrivance explained this is great and so there's sort of a retroactive like i'm glad i gave you the credit yeah did you know what i mean i'm glad i i'm glad i played along well, let, let's quickly talk about setups because i i refer it the, when he turns up and he's deaf and dumb yes there's that mo- <laughs> there is that moment where you go all right i'll, I'll buy this this yeah. is fine it's just silly enough but well, also actually- also the guy the husband's reaction is just like <laughs> really <laughs> like he has that face and i was like okay <laughs> But it's, um, I, I actually listed it as one of the setups as you were going through. Because uh, it is kind of a, because you do have that in the back of, out of your mind. Like, it is no unrealistic. No one's speaking. No one can hear anything either. Yeah. No, everyone seems to be deaf and dumb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he turns up as an actual deaf and dumb person. Like, yeah. Okay, this is funny, that's a, but yeah. I'll go along. That's a good and point, so actually. Yeah. When it turns out. Yeah. So, yeah, because he's, he's missing the two senses that the whole episode yeah. is like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, you two kind of buy it for that reason. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, he's dead. Like, if he was blind, it might be, you might not buy Too it. Too much. Yeah. But if <laughs> the fact that he's specifically deaf and dumb, like, oh, the two senses that you would need to solve this show, he doesn't have is like, okay, you're right. That is, it's, it's, it seems designed, not like lazy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, but it, it stayed right. in the back of my mind. So silly. <laughs> it stayed in the back of my mind because it is farcical. Yeah. And you go along with it because it fits within the premise of the show, etc. Yeah. And so when it turns out at the end that he is a killer and uh, a, a thief, and he's there for the painting, suddenly that rush of insight back, you know, five minutes as long as he's been there, you're like, oh, of course he's not definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's funny and oh my god. And yeah. then you get the big belly laugh where he turns to the painting yes. and, steal it, and you're like, oh that's brilliant. Yeah. He doesn't realise he's good. And so I listed the kitchen roll as another really good setup for that final Oh gag. yeah yeah. Because yeah. that is twenty minutes earlier in the episode, something yeah. like that, or even halfway yeah. through. Where he replaces the painting with the kitchen roll. Yes. And you think, okay, that's very funny. It gets a laugh when he does it. Yeah. Um, and so you don't notice it. But it's a big setup for the yeah. final joke, which is that somebody's going to steal that thinking and it, it's the real thing. And it also keeps the sort of the kitchen roll, cleaning agent, kitchen. Like, the world yeah. stays small. Yeah. If that makes sense. There's a certain sense, like, you know, the soap opera being set up. But there's this, there's sort of an aesthetic setup, if that makes sense. Like yeah, you know, for example, what could they have used to instead of kitchen roll for the painting? They could have used anything. There's laundry, right? There's they laundry. Could the white sheet. They could use the white sheet. They could use. They, they picked. You no, know, they use a kitchen roll. Why? Well, because one, it's very funny to watch him tape kitchen roll together <laughs> to make because it's not the right size. The, it's it's really rubbish. But it also is part of this imagery of the cleaning. Yeah, uh, everything's so white. Right, kitchen roll is really white. It's bitty, it's small, but there's this constant cleaning thing, so everything seems really, really clean. Can I? I so there's ask... this, there's, there's just this thing of just like we're gonna have a cleaning guy come in later, so let's put kitchen roll. You know what I mean? It's I like, want to ask you a question about conscious, this. Though. Yeah, what well, that, that was gonna be my question. Yeah, I may as well ask it now. I was gonna come back to it in, in a minute. Um, is it conscious? I I don't know. You'd have to ask. The, Pembroke right. Conscious, there must be. 
writers out there that do make these conscious decisions. Yes. It's one of the It things might not even have been the writer's choices. It might have been um, something that they decided to do in the production meeting. True. They might have been rehearsing it with something. I was going to say it could have been a choice like, what if it was a sheet and they're going, no, this we can make this funnier. How do yeah. we make it funnier? Right. Let's use kitchen roll. And then after the fact, they go, oh, it works better because. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. It might not be something anyone picked up on. It's interesting. I know I've been involved in creative decisions like this. Obviously, my genius levels are nowhere near close. But <laughs> um, yeah. But where you do have a certain state of mind as you're writing something, when you're in the pocket, as it were, yeah. writing, and then after the fact, you, you think, oh, well, actually, this choice works even better than I thought it did for yeah. X and Y. Yes, and then what happens is people often go like, oh, it was all an accident. It's like, n- no. Just because <laughs> it was still a choice. It's you just a, didn't make a choice necessarily for every reason. It's that was the specific. saturation point of research, right? Yeah. If, you, if you've made enough creative decisions and you know, I'm going to make sure that we fit this here and this here, etc. Yeah. Then decisions like this will tend to happen more naturally. Than, right. Because your mind's like you've narrowed your yeah, mind, exactly. your process, your, your thinking. So process. if they've already said we're going to make everything white and everything clean. Yes. They've already got that limitation. And, and, so, and, we, and it's set in a living room that has like a kitchen in it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this place has two kitchens. It does, <laughs> right? Um, so it's like we, we've they've got this whole like um, you would have this thing of like your choices are limited because of previous choices you've made mm. anyway, and so you make choices that then seem to have ramifications beyond what you originally intended. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't any intention in the choice. No, uh, and also I noticed like particularly with something like this because it's going to be rehearsed, you can't like. You can't. One of the things that uh, I've been noticing, and at some point, you know, maybe we'll do one. But you know, the last two shows I really watched were The Crown, and I'm currently watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. They're both very good shows. And one of the things that I notice is why TV is so much better than film is television's rehearsed. Uh, it's get it, you get rehearsed things. Um, if you watch comedies in films, no, at the moment, no one's rehearsing. It's all improv, mm. and the cameras then they just edit takes together and just churn through it as quickly as possible. With television, that isn't the case. This episode is really intensely rehearsed. Mm. So when you're rehearsing things like that, not only do you get the timing right and you get, um, but you also make really careful. You make all kinds of decisions that people, after a while, think, well, maybe they just, that wasn't really even a decision. So, like, I don't know how many times they rehearsed the kitchen scene, and I don't know that the scene of the replacing of the painting, I don't know how many drafts they went through, and I don't know what sort of um, changes they may have made, but at some point, at some point, someone said, we should have, it should be kitchen roll instead of blah, yeah. which made it a choice. And as soon as that happened, um, I think there's a part, someone somewhere would have gone like, oh, that's really cool because when he goes to shoot the wife and he looks for stuff to clean, the kitchen roll has been used up, <laughs> right? Someone on set somewhere would have noticed that the kitchen roll has been used up because like, that's because of the earlier scene. So as soon as you make that connection, you realize that the, it's a sort of setup. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just one of those things where, like, you know, unless you're actually involved in the process itself, you can't know specifically the other, all these things. But you can kind of get a. The other great setup I wanted to 
mention which occurred to me when you said, okay, the maid um, spots one of the burglars and the yeah. other one chloroforms her. Yeah. Seems out of place when you go through the synopsis like that. Um, but you actually see the chloroform within oh, yeah, a true. minute or two minutes. Yeah, of the, the, episode. the guy when he brought the first, um, I think it's Shearsmith is the actor. The first uh, time when he breaks in, he goes to chloroform uh, the husband, and that's when he's getting the texts, and that's why he can't chloroform yeah. because the texts keep making sounds, which means he can't get the jump on him. Mm. Uh, he doesn't chloroform him in the end because the guy goes to the toilet, and that's how he let, and that's so he uses that to let in the other guy. Um, but it is something that's set up at the very beginning, and we don't see it until the maid. I'm laughing about the toilet gag when he's in the toilet and they're miming to each other whether he's doing a number one or a number two. Right? How much time? How much time? And they're arguing over how long yeah, it takes. If, yeah. yeah, if it's number one, it's one minute. Number two, ten minutes. The other one's like ten minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And again, it's all silent. Yeah. It's just. <laughs> You know they're mouthing it and gesturing with their hands. Okay, let's let let's push on. Um, so that was set up. So let's get to a couple of real meaty points then. Um, and this one I think is so important: empathy. Oh yeah, empathy. So here's the thing: how do you get the audience to empathise with your burglars as they break into a guy's house to steal his painting? Like that's not a nice thing to do. Like everyone's everyone's nightmare is they're having a nice quiet night in. That's the name of the episode: quiet yeah. night in. Uh, I've been quite night in and then two burglars break into your house and you don't even notice they're walking around and they steal your stuff that's just horrible right you've got your floodlights and and that doesn't stop them you've got your bright white house you've got your bright so white you house spot so. Any yeah burglars. so it's, it's how do you get it to be how do you get it to go with them well first of all first of all the guy's rich and the burglars do not seem rich right the burglars seem very like lower middle class you know they seem like they are hard working burglars <laughs> the husband seems like a rich lazy fat cat and so straight away we're like in the is you it know, the, is it the maid that serves him the soup maid serves him the soup perfect right? he's got a maid yeah. and the maid is not white so he's kind of racist <laughs> right hiring an immigrant so you feel like he's really racist you feel like he's the kind of guy who votes UKIP you know like do you know what I mean straight away like you've got this sense of like he's rich lazy he has a maid I'd be surprised if we have any UKIP audience members but if we don't they're gone bye right (laughs) it's so hot like literally the building next to us like uh, uh, on my street the UKIP councillor for my town lives in my street (laughs) yeah that's how yeah she does it's like you don't even know your own reality, your, your own neighbourhood, whatever you kip. So, right, <laughs> useless, useless failures. Anyway, so um, this guy is <coughs> is clearly, like, straight away you go, he's lazy, he's rich, okay, and probably racist. <laughs> straight away, within a few seconds, you're like, I don't like him, right? The burglars, on the other hand, are running around. They're crawling on the floor. They're working really hard. And they're clearly not very smart. So you go like, yeah, those guys, they're hardworking. Yeah, they're burglars. But they burgle people who deserve it. And they're hardworking. (laughs) You you get that sense. Like, they work so hard for this. And they're not very good. So immediately you're endeared to them. Because you're just like, yeah, man. Like, they're underdogs. Right? They're underdogs. You feel for them. Then, the painting is stupid. 
right? If you spend that much money for that painting and that painting is rubbish, it's total nonsense, white modern art crap, he deserves to have it stolen from him. He's got more money than sense, so he doesn't deserve the money that he used to buy that painting. And these hard-working burglars <laughs> deserve to have the money that they can get for that painting. They deserve it, you see. So straight away, your empathy is totally on the burglar's side. Then, then, the wife shows up and he treats her horribly. He's really horrible. First of all, you don't really like the wife. She is clearly a trophy wife, right? She's got her nails and her high heels indoors, right? She's got her perfectly, like, um, sculpted hairdo and all that stuff. Like, she's dressed as if she's trying to show off, but she's at home and she wants to watch EastEnders, which is also a bad thing, right? (laughs) So you don't mind that she's going to get stolen from because you get the sense, A, she doesn't care about the painting, she's not that smart she's not nice you don't like her it's fine then 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 they start having their argument and stuff and you start to feel like oh yeah I guess they are having a bit of a bad time but you know what that's what matters that their marriage matters it's okay if these hard working burglars steal the painting because really that doesn't matter what matters is their marriage right so now The painting only matters to the burglars. It doesn't matter to the husband and wife. Fine. Then, then the wife turns out to be either a transvestite or a transsexual. It's never fully explained. The husband kills her. So now he's a homophobic racist, right? So he's a disgusting person. And we're like, I am fine with him, with them stealing the painting because they may be burglars, but they're not homophobic racist UKIP murderers right (laughs) which is what this guy is okay plus the guy has really bad taste in music right we 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 understand this it's all by myself and and without you he has bad taste in music they are trashy people who have no taste their house is ugly they dress ugly they look ugly their painting is ugly everything is ugly they don't deserve it. The burglars do. And uh, and that's why you feel bad when they get shot. And they don't get the painting. Because you have empathy for them. So they worked really hard for that painting. And they deserve it. Because they clearly, clearly you can tell these two people have not got the best family lives. They're, you know, they're working really hard. Probably don't have much money. Like, straight away. Anyway, this is... This they've is, got really old phones as well. They've got really old phones. So they, you know, they're down on their luck, right? <laughs> And, <laughs> I love this backstory, right? But this, but this is what happens when you watch it. Like, but right? Did you did you not have any of these same sensations that I'm just describing? Oh yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, it's right in the back of your mind. Though, but right? this is totally what you're thinking, yeah. right? Because of all the choices from costuming to everything, these are the, uh, like, and even the actors who are playing them, you get this choice. Like, obviously, the woman and the husband. The two people, like the woman playing, is a beautiful person. You can tell, but they've put horrible makeup. They've dressed her in the most tacky clothes. They've given her a horrible wig and all that stuff, so she looks ugly. But she's not. The actress clearly isn't ugly, right? But she looks like one of those trophy Ibiza in the club type of thing. Like you just get so prejudicial towards them, <laughs> and you feel like you're right to be, you know, because you get so judgmental. Like everything I hate about this kind of person in England, right? Everything, right? 
And yeah, like Jersey Shore, that's what they would say in America. You know, Towley, that's it. The only way is Essex. That's how she looks. Towie. 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 How the hell? Anyway, no, that's Mr. Mr. Hanky. Anyway, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Eric Carmen, Towley, whatever. The wheels are coming off. It's fine. The point is, she's got that Towie thing going on. The only way is Essex thing. The Geordie Shaw thing. She's got that thing going on. He's got that rich UKIP because they live in the country you're sure of it and he probably hunts foxes that kind of anyway so you have all this in your head and you're just like yeah steal it right (laughs) and that and it's all done without a word literally and in your head you're not consciously thinking but you're totally okay with them stealing the painting like that's so the empathy and I love it because um, you it's all this that I've described that you are feeling too and I bet you I haven't asked Stu but I bet you Stu did and I bet you anyone who watches this has the same feeling you get it by being Sherlock <laughs> right you're Sherlock Holmesing the characters you're going based on what they're wearing and all this stuff like you're deducing things from them you're just going oh yes judging by his type of slipper he's clearly a UKIP supporter you know that kind of thing you're mm. doing a full Sherlock Holmes thing and that's what's get generating your empathy What's, Which is adorable. What's great about the choices that they make in order to make you feel that way is that they're not cliched choices. And no. I realised when you when you said he probably hunts, hunts foxes, and my <laughs> mind instantly searched through that house on the episode to think, is there a stuffed animal on the wall? Right. And I realised that that would be the go-to. Like, yeah. if, how do you make a character seem rich? Well, let's have this really opulent, right? Um, you know stuffed heads on the wall you know big yeah. grand chairs etc right. but actually the set is pretty bare yeah. because but he has so two clean. dogs who has dogs fox hunters <laughs> he's got one dog sure two oh is there a second dog there's the little dog and then the big dog oh of course the big dog yes yeah um, oh that's the point <laughs> the burglars kill a dog <laughs> they kill his little dog uh, you don't lose empathy with them <laughs> because for a couple of reasons one um <laughs> one is they didn't mean to <laughs> okay two is the reason it happened was because it was a miscommunication and the guy has allergies to dogs okay so you you totally forgive them first of all second of all the dog you don't you don't really it doesn't feel like the dog suffered <laughs> so you're kind of okay he gets stuffed into an umbrella rack yeah but that's after he's dead so it's okay <laughs> he just gets thrown against a window and you just hear this like that and you go and it's just it's the small little dog which frankly you feel like you know evolution didn't want it to exist in the first place it's a uh, stupid dog it's a stupid dog it's not really it's an a, opulent it's an opulent, racist homophobic UKIP voting dog exactly it's one of those dogs and so you're like ah, oh, I, I feel bad for the dog but at the same time they didn't mean to and really it's kind of it's kind of that guy's fault for not looking after his own dog and you blame you blame the husband and so you're okay with it and by the way when he kills his wife all your pent up hatred towards him that kind of is unconscious is totally validated when he kills her because it's like nothing she did deserved that nothing she did so you just go I knew it Right, I knew he was a murderer. I knew he was a horrible man. Like when he goes to kill kill himself, you don't actually feel bad for him. No, you like <laughs> you you sit there and go, weak coward's way out. 
That's that's what you're thinking, right? Do it, you pussy. <laughs> Seriously, like you think he's weak when he goes to do that. The, when he, like, the, the guy playing him, I don't know how they how how they cast that guy, but like all the choices, you just don't like him from the moment you see him sitting there having his tomato soup, and you just go, ah, oh, I hate him. I hate it like that just based on like all the visual information that you've been given and as you say none of it's cliche and it's the choices that he makes the actor makes and the character yeah. makes to do all the things in certain ways <clears throat> one of the things I was going to say about empathy um, with bad guys is on um, whenever um, uh, Robert McKee was asked about empathy with a character uh, he always put like because th- you think okay you need to make the audience like your character well how can you do it if they're a bit mean and he always pointed to Hannibal Lecter yes as like the crowning achievement of writing (laughs) why do you empathise with Hannibal Lecter well the two main things I seem to recall are one he is super intelligent and we like that yes we like that a lot um and secondly, the the cops and everybody around him yes. are corrupt and awful. So you yeah. make the surrounding world more hateful yes. than a cannibalistic... Right. It's the centre of good, yeah. Right? He's yeah. the centre of good. So he's less bad than every, than everyone else. So if you have yes. two burglars... I mean, really, they had an easy job compared to Lecter, but you have two burglars. Well, one, you're laughing because um, they're bumbling and yeah. um, what, uh, the allergy thing I thought actually was really important because you, you you feel sorry for him at that point you do and he's trying to steal a painting right exactly um, but as you said you have this yeah. you, know, you have them stealing from somebody who is just hateful it's it's it, you, you can't stand that guy but the choices that the characters make help you generate empathy right mm. so when you say like they're tenacious and they're hard working and they're bumbling <laughs> The, the opening text messages, the first two scenes you see of them is them trying to get across the grass with the floodlights. Yeah. And they do, the first thing they do is they do this thing. The floodlights come on and they freeze in place. And immediately that makes you have empathy with them because the first thing you would do is freeze. And then you realize it is the stupidest thing to do. <laughs> Because you are literally standing with the spotlight shining down on you. It is the worst thing you could do, right? So, and then the, they, then the flashlights turn off because, of course, the, the thing is you don't want to move because the flashlights turn on. That's how the mm. floodlights stop yeah. turning on. So you don't want to move. Then they move again, and, of course, it catches them. And then you see one of them crawling across the floor trying to not be noticed. And the other one's just walking as if, like, how, how should that be the case? <laughs> so straight away you go, like, yeah. Yeah, if I was trying to burgle a house, I would be rubbish, right? <laughs> but at least they're trying. The guy, on the other hand, because <clears throat> this is all happening behind the guy, the husband, the husband isn't even looking at the floodlights. And you're going, dude, I have floodlights. I've seen floodlights in a person's house. Whenever they go on, you look. <laughs> you can't help but look. How, how disinterested are you how distant are you from reality you selfish classical music listening UKIP loving whore (laughs) right and so straight away the first thing his choice not to react right and their choice is to freeze and then crawl and try all these other sort of childish ways to go and immediately go like yeah right I know I've staked a claim (laughs) right and then uh, the next scene uh it, it reaffirms it what does the guy want to do he wants to chloroform him 
so no one's going to get hurt. Yeah. He's not here to hurt anybody. He's going to chloroform him. And as he's trying to do, he's getting text messages from his friend who's looking out for him. <laughs> right? And he's like, oh, dude, just stop doing it. Stop texting me. And it's like, you know, go to Senny. Let's do that. It's like, oh, they're friends. You know, they're they're you know they're not thinking this through, but they're they you know they've thought enough of it through to bring chloroform, but they haven't thought enough through to like not text each other. Like they're working together, they're together. The husband can't even keep his life together, but they're together. You know, they're committing a crime, they're in it together. And then, then he goes to chloroform him, and the phone keeps texting. And again, the guy doesn't just look past the sofa; he won't look. And you go, you. Arrogant, entitled son of a... How come you're not even looking? I'd look. You don't look. You're horrible. Right? And so just straight away from the first two scenes, the choices the characters make to not react and to look out for each other and to work together, straight away you're like, yeah. And just to, re- just to reiterate, the way you phrased it was really nice. Like, if I were going to burgle a house... <laughs> I would be that bad. And so you are literally yeah. empathising. Exactly. You know, and so, right? yeah. and I would totally bring, bring chloroform because, yes, I don't want anyone to get hurt. Yeah. Although, I have done my research, you don't bring chloroform because there's a reason anesthesiology is actually like a thing you have to learn. If you give someone chloroform and, they're, and you give them too much, they're dead. And if you don't give them enough, they don't fall unconscious. You have to give them the exact right amount. It's not easy. So actually, the maid is probably dead. Uh, chloroform does not know. work like it does Good in the cartoons know. or in television just so you know um, another fun fact by the way if you get knocked out and you are out for more than five minutes you probably have brain damage <laughs> just so you know like when you see people go I'm going to knock that guy out dunk, and they're out for two hours like they wake up with after with a stroke like that's the, that, they might not wake so up so best case scenario the maid is brain damaged likely scenario she's dead Yes. Uh, suddenly, I don't empathise as much. What did they know? <laughs> it was an accident. We didn't it's know. Okay. If I was going to chloroform somebody, I'd probably kill yeah. them too. Don't know why you went Jewish, but okay. Let's push on because we've just got one more um, yes. major point to make. The the, the actual breakdown. Of oh yes, yeah. I broke down the episode into seeds because uh, I did. Because <laughs> stats are interesting. Yeah, stats are interesting. So, just so you know, there are in this episode of twenty-ish minutes, thirty-three, uh, thirty-three scenes. So it's like it's about I so th- turning it's about twenty. Yeah, it's about twenty-eight, twenty-nine minutes. Yeah, so thirty-three, 33 scenes. Yeah, so it's got a very quick pace to it. That's a, an enormously quick pace, and it makes sense because there's no um, dialogue, so the turning points can't. You know, it's just physical actions, and physical actions are just inherently quick. You can't necessarily get away with a yeah three minute scene, right? Because it would just be it feel like something's lacking, right? Yeah. So you keep things moving. Th- things keep have to keep moving because if no one's moving, no one's speaking. There's nothing happening. So, so naturally, uh, comedies have a higher uh, percentage of scenes. Yeah, they've got like a, faster a higher pace. ratio. Yeah. Yeah, I know we we broke down um, quite a few uh, comedy shows, and I remember the the highest one we found was Thirty Rock, which of the episodes. Uh, so the Thirty Rock episodes are about twenty three minutes, like I that. think, yeah. um, and they have a higher um, scene count than they do minutes. 
yeah. as well. It's yeah. like 25 scenes, 26 scenes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, whereas something like the um, extras or The Office, so British right. comedy, which is about, which is pushes 30 minutes as well. It's about right. 28, 29 minutes. That had a scene count of maybe 17, 18. Yeah, and uh, Fra- Frasier. Yeah, Frasier has fewer scenes than minutes as well. But then the way a lot of like sitcoms, particularly something like Frasier, will work is they have the dialogue. They have longer scenes at the beginning that build up pace towards the end. Yes, uh, and this, of course, would be the same here. The scenes at the beginning are longer than the scenes at the end, but because there's no dialogue, every scene's just going to be a bit shorter than usual anyway. So that it just has a frenetic pace to it. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, also this cross-cut scenes, so that you have two scenes happening at the same time. So yes. as a result, uh, each scene is a bit lo- maybe long. Yeah, like a minute or something, but because it's cut between two, um, <clears throat> the pace doesn't drop. Yeah, because you've got the because yeah. you've got the husband and wife subplot. Exactly. So um, yeah, there is a subplot: the husband and wife marriage subplot. Uh, so the scenes there are thirty three. I'll just go through them. The first scene is um, the first criminal breaks in, which is positive for the criminals. Uh, I think she did a proper breakdown of it. Yeah positive to negative and then the second criminal breaks in which is scene two which is also positive and that ends the first sequence of the story which is getting into the house so if you remember scenes are minor turning points sequences are moderate turning points and then acts are major and there's only one act in this story we will also post this breakdown on the um, website description so we are going to yes, okay. uh, yeah. Because somebody might want this information, and it's hard to follow sometimes. When I you're expect listening. people to be taking notes. Okay, take notes. Um, I know a lot of you listening in your car um, on your way to work. Um, Pull over. Take notes. No, I would say just just lean into it. Go for it. Well, they also put. <laughs> I assume they pulled over to watch Inside Number Nine. So you're already late for work. So don't see what the problem is. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we'll post the notes, so um, don't worry about <clears throat> if, if you if you lose your way, you'll be able to find this on the storytoolkit.wordpress.com. Okay. So anyway, the first two scenes both turn positive as the criminals break in. Then scene three, they discover the maid that they're not alone. So that's negative. Fourth scene, the little dog starts barking, which is negative. Fifth scene, they kill the little dog, which is positive. Because they've silenced the dog, but it's also kind of negative because they've accidentally killed the dog. Um, they didn't mean to, and they've left evidence now that they are that they're about to be burgled. Because if you know that, of course, the plan is they're going to steal the painting, and get out without anyone noticing. Mm. Uh, so, but uh, a little dead dog in an umbrella stand is well, well, it's a clue. <laughs> um, scene six: the wife comes down, puts on EastEnders, so they can't get the painting now. Uh, but they're not noticed so it's negative they can't get the painting but it's also still positive they haven't been noticed then the seventh scene the wife and husband fight which is negative on the subplot scene eight the wife and husband go out to the pool to argue which is now positive for the burglars scene nine they cut out the painting but they don't have a replacement positive they've got the painting but it's also negative they don't have a replacement for it so scene 10, they makeshift a replacement, but the painting is now trapped under the wife's heels. So it's positive, they've made a, they've got the painting, they've replaced it, but they haven't got the painting still because the wife's standing on it. This scene is cross-cut with scene 11. So scene 10, 
this turning point for the burglars is happening at the same time as scene 11, which is the wife and husband's marriage is over. They seem to have ended their marriage. So as that scene is happening, they're cutting out the painting so that when they've cut the painting out and she steps on the painting, that's when the marriage is over. So both scenes are happening at the same time. Uh, And then finally, scene 12, the maid takes the painting, thinking it's linen. She takes it off the floor and takes it with her into the laundry, which is negative and the end of that sequence, which is getting the painting. Scene 13, the second criminal is discovered by the maid, who maces him, obviously negative. Scene 14, the first criminal chloroforms the maid and hides her in the closet, which is positive. uh, And that ends that sequence, which is the maid sequence dealing with the maid scene 15 they find the painting positive scene 16 it's immediately taken upstairs by the dumbwaiter negative scene 17 the wife locks the painting into her suitcase which is negative both on the subplot because she's leaving and negative uh, on the central plot because now the painting is trapped inside the suitcase scene 18 the second criminal <coughs> puts chilies on his eyes instead of a cucumber which is negative Scene 19, the husband gets out his gun, which is negative for both subplots. It's negative for the wife, but it's negative for the burglars, because now he's armed. Told you he has a gun, he's a fox hunter. Um, Scene 20, that's another thing, Reason. That's another thing, he has a gun in his house. When he pulls out the gun, he goes, I knew he was bad trouble. (laughs) Um, So, scene 20, the husband doesn't commit suicide, which is positive for the subplot. The fact that he doesn't kill himself. Scene 21... <clears throat> the painting the second criminal broke as he stumbled around uh, arouses feelings in the husband who plays their song, which is positive on the subplot. And that's cross-cut with scene 22, which is the wife comes out of the bathroom, forcing the first criminal under the bed uh, with her sex toy thing that's under the bed. Um, she And then she leaves the, when the song plays, but she takes the keys to the suitcase, which is negative. So... Those two scenes are cross-cut. It's positive that they're about to reconcile on the subplot, but it's negative because she has the keys and has taken it down to her husband who has a gun. Um, Scene 23, the wife spurns the husband's advances uh, and reconciliation, which is negative on the subplot. Scene 24, the husband shoots her dead. It's negative on both plots, and it's the act climax for the subplot. So the subplot is now turned from a marital dispute to murder. Um, scene 25 they're dragging the suitcase down when there's a knock on the door which is negative um, that is uh, the sequence climax as well which is the um, trying to get the, trying to get the painting out of the wife's thing because now it's gone really bad not only do they have the painting in the suitcase but the husband is downstairs with the dead body of the wife and now there's a knock on the door uh, that scene is cross cut with the husband shooting her, uh, her dead so scenes 24 and 25 are cross cut scene 26 <clears throat> the person knocking on the door sells door to door cleaning supplies and is both deaf and dumb positive for everyone because this is how he doesn't realise scene 27 the husband hides the wife in the other closet and makes the blood look like spilled tomato soup so the cleaner gets to work positive they're going to get away with it everyone's going to get away with it you see the whole story is about who's going to get away with it so at the moment they're going to get away with it uh, scene 28, the first criminal meets the cleaner and buys product needed to get the suitcase out. Even more positive. Now they've got the tools they need to get out. Um, scene 29, the cleaner discovers the bullet hole and sees the suitcase being lowered out the window. Negative for everyone. Because um, he seems to be on the case of the murder now. <laughs> he's playing detective. 
Scene 30, the husband goes to investigate what's going on outside, looks up and sees the suitcase. Negative for the criminals. Um, so 31, the criminals drop the suitcase, killing the husband. It's positive, but also a bit negative because they've left some evidence. Um, but it's positive because um, they've, they've, they're not going to get caught by him, at least. Scene 32, the painting falls into the pool. Absolutely negative. And then scene 33, the killer cleans both the criminals, uh, uh, kills both the criminals and takes their counterfeit. So on the one hand, it's negative because they're dead. It's overwhelmingly negative, actually. <laughs> they're dead. They didn't get the painting. But there is a little positive irony in the climax because, hey, he didn't get the painting either. Yeah. Right? At least, you know, even at the end, you're like, yeah, well, no one else gets that painting. No one else deserves it. So, yeah, that's the that's the 33 scenes. Um uh, of of the of the episode, uh, as it turns and turns and turns, and so um, that's just lovely and tight, right? Yeah, I think so. So let's round this up. Let's try and put a neat little bow on the episode. Yes. What do we learn? So, um, what I think we learn is that um, that story that just happened from turn, you know, all those turning points and all this and all the stuff that we've been talking about. There's no and there's no dialogue. Um, when you're writing, you know, McKee does this, and obviously I do as well. I advocate that you focus on the plot and you focus on making sure that the story works. This is how Faulty Towers is written as mm. well. You make sure that the story is working. Dialogue is the last thing to worry about. You put dialogue in at the very end, and what this shows you is you can have a completely compelling turning story without any dialogue at all and so <coughs> when you write a story and you have scenes where characters are talking you should still be able to write it out as though this happens this happens this happens without dialogue the writer's words the writing is not in the dialogue it's not in people speaking it's in what happens and how and why it happens so uh Inside number nine is just this episode is just a delight because you're just watching this story unfold that's clearly very well written, but there's no dialogue. And so, you know, when you're writing, confine yourself, you know, confine yourself to actually making the story work. Then put dialogue on top. People fall in love with their dialogue all the time. They want to get to the dialogue as quickly as possible, and um, and it's just it's just such a trap. It's such a trap, and you and you see it all the time. Like you're watching um, uh, films, television, whatever, and you see characters are giving speeches, and you can tell the writer doesn't know what the scene's about. They're just mm. and actors, by the way, aren't big fans of doing these things because you know that's the when they go wait, what am, what's my motivation? You know what what am I you know what am I doing? Yeah. Why am I giving this huge speech? And they have to learn all these lines, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> Actors, actors. It's funny. the uh, The further into a career, into their career, the less the actors want to learn the screenplay or the script. They just they want to learn less because they know most of the acting is done in how they say it and the subtext and all that stuff. Mm. And so when you focus on the plot, you have to build the subtext up. Is you start from subtext and build to text. Mm. But if you go the other way, well, guess what? Your text is just going to try and describe what's in the subtext. It becomes very shallow. No one's doing anything, and people are just sort of standing around yelling at each other until you hopefully <clears throat> I'm assume, find the point of what you're writing. I'm assuming as well that when you do these treatments, mm. it doesn't mean you can't um, 
mention the sort of thing a character might be saying. Yeah. Like you can say character X convinces this one by yeah it, something yeah. like that. Yeah, you could yeah, they convince them. Uh you could even have a couple of like a line or two if you really needed it like yeah. gotcha. You know, that kind <laughs> of thing, you know. Um that you you could you could it's not that you can't put in a couple of lines here and there. Um because no one's going to Mm. <laughs> no one's gonna test you on it. Um, you can do what you want, but it's it's one of those things where it's like it's just good discipline to really not rely on thinking. Oh, I'll use my dialogue to clean it up, or oh, I'll just put in some snappy one-liner here, or write a snappy one-liner and think you've got it down. Do you know what I mean? It's it's you don't you don't. Uh, it's, in fact, it's very interesting because. If you focus on the plot, what you realize is you can't have a scene where they go, then he explains what's been going on this whole time. Right. Because you can't write that scene because you realize, hold on. At some point, you just look at it and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. This scene is going to be me delivering a huge amount of exposition. Mm. Why don't I work out what the exposition is that I need to know and put that in earlier and set that up? And then that way I don't have to have the explanation scene. But you see, soon if you start sitting down, and you start writing the character, saying what's going on. You try and find interesting ways to explain it, and then you go, "Ha ha, I cracked it!" You know, it's like, no, 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 that's that's the that's not the thing you want to do. You want to make sure that you know when they're explaining it, why they're explaining it, etc. So <clears throat> it's one of those things where like there's certain there's certain scenes every writer hates writing, and those scenes will be exposition scenes and stuff. And it's mm. like this is how you don't this is how you don't Get, you know how you get out of exposition you plot use the plot to hide your expositional details use the set to hide it so like all the exposition in this story no one had to, no one said it yeah that's, that's no one can say the exposition a big, a, yeah it's a really good point right where's the how do we how do we know who they are what they want what's how going do we on? know he's how do we know all this yeah how do we know all this stuff and it's like well because of the set design the character's choices uh the world etc that's how we know mm. by action reaction what happens how it happens etc that's how we know everything about these characters and that's how the exhibition gets delivered it do- it gets delivered through the story it doesn't get delivered by character stopping and going let me explain how this works we're not allowed to talk you know like that mm. you get it you pick it up as you go along so yeah so that's what I would suggest Is this is why you know you realize how much work story choices and character choices can can do for you if you discipline yourself not to put dialogue in until the very end. Whereas if you put dialogue in very early, suddenly you can use dialogue to, whenever you hit a problem, it's like, I'll just use my dialogue to hopefully get me out of this. Mm. And with, <clears throat> with, novel, it, with novels, it means prose. Mm. It's description. Use floral description to get out of the fact that you don't know what you're writing. That's that's it, right? That's the same thing. With novels, it's just prose. With comic books, it's having a really nice picture drawn for you. Like, how oh, they draw it and put... And then you put the caption over it. Right? Interesting there's an equivalent in each medium. Yeah, right? yeah. It's just the medium, you use the superficial aspect of the medium, the yeah. most superficial element of the medium to basically be a panacea for exposition and weak writing. So you, captions in comic books, prose and novels... Mm dialogue and film cool okay 
I think as a tribute to this episode of Inside Number Nine, we should end our episode without dialogue. I don't. You ruined it. I, uh, you're, ru- you're ruining it again. Just no. How, how no? How is it going to work? No. Like, oh, do I just leave a bit of silence before the end credits? Is that how you want this to work? He's nodding. <laughs> <laughs>